electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our show, travel from Europe to the U.S. suspended, the bull market ends, and coronavirus classified as a pandemic. Dr. Scott Gottlieb on what's next in the U.S. It's too late for us to have the kind of outcome that South Korea achieved. We're losing valuable time. And Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Tom Friedman. We have a logistics problem around tests. We have a cure problem, which doesn't exist. We have a political problem. We haven't agreed on a bailout. We have a global disorder problem, and we have an oil problem. We've got that and more. It's Thursday, March 12, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one. Cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick coming to you from CNBC headquarters in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin are at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're split up today coming to you from separate locations because of coronavirus. We're doing this out of an abundance of caution, trying to make sure for the safety of our employees and everyone they come in contact with. But it's not going to change what we do every day, which is bringing you the news you need to navigate these volatile markets. Obviously, a big part of this would be to make sure we can continue to do that, even if one of our sites is contaminated. The bull run is done. On Wednesday, the markets went from correction territory, a 10 percent drop from recent highs, to a bear market. That's when an index falls 20% or more from a recent peak for a sustained period of time. When U.S. stock markets opened this morning, the S&P fell 7%, triggering a halt in all trading for 15 minutes. This happened on Monday as well, the first time since 1997. There's a chance that stocks will automatically halt again and again during the trading day. And this is all on the heels of a turning point for the coronavirus response, both in the U.S. and globally. The World Health Organization called COVID-19 a pandemic for the first time on Wednesday, raising concerns about both the virus's spread and mortality rate and the inaction by some countries to address it. Worldwide, reported cases are over 126,000 and over 4,500 people have died. In the U.S., cases are now reported in 44 states. In an effort to stem domestic panic, President Trump addressed the nation from the Oval Office on Wednesday evening, announcing potential financial relief for workers who are sick. To ensure that working Americans impacted by the virus can stay home without fear of financial hardship, I will soon be taking emergency action, which is unprecedented, to provide financial relief. This will be targeted for workers who are ill, quarantined, or caring for others due to coronavirus. I will be asking Congress to take legislative action to extend this relief. He also announced new rules for American travel. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. 
The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. At this point, the travel suspension for people coming into the United States does not include the United Kingdom. And something to note before we dive in today. As Becky mentioned, our anchors are now broadcasting from separate locations, and they will be for a while. As the business community assesses global health risks, you'll hear a large portion of our guests calling in to the show or on the Squawk Newsline. Here's Joe Kernan from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I saw some, some mortality rates from South Korea, too. Right. And, and even, I mean, it, it gets... Up, when you're over 80, it's it's a very disturbing five, six, seven percent. But but below Actually, that, I've seen so statistics I, of 14.6 percent for over 80. I think it depends. But on that that wasn't the one in South Korea. It was no, not in South that. Korea. Yeah. I, I was going to say, first of all, the, the important part that I, again, I'm not sure people appreciate, and again, I'm not trying to panic people. But a, if you have it, you're you're by default a carrier, even if you're a very young person, or at least that's the view right. of medical experts at this moment. The mortality rate for under 30 was was actually zero in South Korea. Correct. However. Yeah. Mortality unto itself is not the only, the only story here. You should go look and read some of the stories. There are stories, at least anecdotally, individual stories of people who are having different organ, organ failure. They're, no, I saw the lung the damage. That, that, that's when it moves to the lungs. Right. It can be very sick. But that's usually with people that are over 80 and that usually, do have underlying usually, conditions. However, there are also examples of people who are younger who are having problems. And so I just... I think the idea of minimizing this, no, no one's minimizing no, 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 Well, trust me, I think it has been minimized. It's yep. been minimized virtually every day. It's been minimized by the President of the United States. It's been minimized. minimized. We, we may not have, yeah, but, I I, but I'm not sure that the, that the public fully appreciates the true damage of what this is. What I will say clear is economic and potential the statistics Joe citing from South Korea are probably the right ones to watch because they've, they've done, done such the a testing. great job of yep. actually testing. So it brings in people who have milder symptoms with that. That is probably the model that we should be following, too, right. is testing everybody so that you can accurately figure out who needs to be quarantined and who doesn't. Um, getting testing up and running, I, I would is say, is huge of problem. vital importance. I mean, I would feel more comfortable if we could test a lot of different things. My, my daughter, her preschool, on Monday, she was one of eight kids in a class of 22 who actually showed up because there's an illness that's going around there. One of the kids tested positive for flu, but I'd feel a lot better if we could test everybody at that point just to say, hey, let's just check it out out of an abundance right. of caution. Well, we can hope in the next couple of weeks, it seems like, yeah. cross your fingers, we might have some better testing. We just... You know, we're, we're torn between hoping for a huge denominator and hoping for a zero denominator. Right. It, 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 that's it makes some, it much less deadly if, there, if, it's, if it's already out there and widely circulating. Just makes you wonder about, I mean, China, 1.4 billion people, really? 100,000 cases? Right. Um, that, or is it millions of cases with a 0.1 mortality rate? Right, which would make it look a lot more like the average flu. Exactly. Um, look, I, I, I think the... The danger is what happens when it gets into older right. populations, when it gets to people who have compromised situations. But obviously, it's not the only case. Oh, there's We've no, all seen the no doubt that the, I mean, it, and the flu is a, is tragic every right. year. When but, you think of 80,000 people that 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 die, the difference is this: we have no herd immunity to this because this is brand new. We've never seen it before. It spreads right. much more rapidly than the flu, right. and it sticks around longer. And there's a lot we still don't understand about it. I would also suggest that part of the problem is not only do we not have enough test to actually just tell whether you have it right now, but we don't have a test to figure out whether you had it at some point, which is going to make this whole mathematical argument that you're making uh, more complicated. 
Another factor complicating containment and mitigation efforts? A possible delay in testing results. Officials say a passenger on a JetBlue flight on Wednesday night from New York to Florida has tested positive for coronavirus. Except according to Scott Rodman, another passenger who was on that same flight, the man in question didn't know his diagnosis until he was already on the plane. Scott Rodman called into our broadcast this morning. Scott, good morning. Thanks for calling in today. No problem. Good morning. How are you? Good. What, what, what happened last night? It was, everything was, I mean, the flight was about 75% full, and uh, I was sitting on a window seat, empty middle, and then a woman on the aisle and a gentleman on the other aisle. And uh, he was wearing masking gloves, and there was really nothing to it. But then all of a sudden, as we as we landed, we got stuck. We were sitting on tarmac for like two hours, and uh, they pulled him to the back of the plane. They did not take him off the plane, and I happened to go use the restroom and saw him. He was just standing back there. Uh, then they got his wife and brought her to the back of the plane. And then finally we were able to disembark it and, and get off, but then had the health department there to, to talk to the rows that were in uh, close proximity to him and, uh, and kind of went through the, the next steps, which were questionable. Did they say why they, do you have any idea why they actually checked him at that point? Was, was he exhibiting a fever? From what we were told, from what we were told, he had uh, he had been tested uh, for the virus two days ago, oh. and got a text message on the plane while he was be on the plane. That he, uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of wild. If you feel like if, if you've gotten and gotten tested and you think there could be something wrong to go get on an airplane, is is crazy. Um, but when he when he uh, was sitting on the plane, he got either a phone call or a text message saying that it was a positive test. Wow. Um... Okay, that brings it to a whole new level. How are you feeling this morning? So far, feeling feeling okay. Um, you know, I think uh, we were all a little concerned though, was as we got pulled into to a meeting room to meet with the Department of Health afterwards, and we were told that we're fine to go do whatever we want. Wait, they no didn't tell you to self quarantine. You were sitting that close to yeah. him for, uh, I, I would say, what is it, a, a two and a half hour flight, and then yeah. at least a three hour yeah. flight with at least a couple hours on the tarmac after that. Yes, and we were told that because he wasn't sneezing or coughing at all, that we're fine and we can go about or they're going to check in with us. And Do you feel comfortable us. with that? Not at all. I, I'm, I'm visiting my parents in, in Florida and my mother's a diabetic and at risk and, and to tell us that we're totally. And I personally went over to the, to the woman, to the doctor and asked and explained my exact story. And she said, it's a personal decision if you want to stay with them. And I said, that's, you know, I need a professional opinion. And she said, I would stay, try and keep your distance, but if you exhibit any symptoms at all, to leave immediately, leave the house. And well, at that point, maybe it's too late, but what you said, you went back to the bathroom. Okay, he wasn't coughing, he wasn't sneezing, not necessarily a way he was wearing a mask, but you went back to the yeah. bathroom. Had he gone back to the bathroom? Are you touching any of the same surfaces? It's certainly possible. Uh, he, he was, again, he was just standing in the back there, and, and uh, I don't know what he was touching throughout the flight. I, 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 yeah, it, and that's what's making it scary is that we're not getting in. The information we're, we were told last night does not match the information that you're hearing from the professionals throughout the country on television and, and in, the, uh, in the papers. What did JetBlue say to you? I haven't heard, JetBlue hasn't said anything. They were, the, the captain maybe came on the whole time, maybe three or four times, and didn't give us any information. Um, we were surrounded by, by police cars and ambulance and 
They wouldn't let us go into the terminal, but nobody was telling us anything. The flight attendants were, I, I didn't even see the flight attendants. We got yelled at multiple times that we needed to sit down because we were all starting to stand up just because you're on the tarmac for two hours. You got to stretch a little bit. And they kept telling us we had to sit down, but there was no, nothing from JetBlue whatsoever. So no health officials and no one from JetBlue, no one has offered you any way to not stay with your parents? No one has made that. No one has, uh, no one has done that. I called the, uh, the COVID-19 hotline last night when I got back. I found it on the Palm Beach Health Department website. He told me that I have to wait and call the health department this morning. Um, that they didn't, you know, they didn't really have much information, and uh, and I'm supposed to be getting a phone call from the health department today to check in on me to see how I'm feeling. Are you staying with your parents? Uh, fortunately, they have a a separate uh, guest house at their at their house, so I'm able to stay out there where where I'm not in is, is direct contact with them. Uh, and now we're just trying to figure out the next steps and wait to hear what the professionals think we should be doing. Scott, it sounds like you were taking all the the best precautionary measures that you could possibly take. Um, I want to wish you well and hope you will check in with us and let us know how things are going. If you hear back from the health department, from JetBlue, or um, just let us know how things are going. But we appreciate your call today. I certainly will. I appreciate you having me. The World Health Organization now declaring COVID-19 a global pandemic. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, the American Enterprise Institute's Dr. Scott Gottlieb and Michael Strain argue that here in this country, funds from Congress should be used towards mitigation steps, including compensating cities for shutting down their economies. Joining us right now are the authors of that piece, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who's former FDA commissioner and CNBC contributor, and Michael Strain, who is AEI's economic policy studies director. Uh, guys, I want to talk about your op-ed in a minute, but uh, Scott, well, we got, here, got you here. I've got a bunch of questions I need answered right now. I've been waiting for you all morning on this. First of all, you've been running numbers at AEI to come up with the number of tests that have been administered in the United States. What, what do you see right now? How are you coming about come, uh, just finding those numbers? Right. So it's not tests being administered. It's the capacity of the labs that are actually offering the tests. So we, we've come at a number that we believe, based on all the labs that are offering a test right now, Upwards of 17,000 patients can be tested a day, but 17,000 patients aren't being tested a day. Part of the challenge is that certain labs have capacity in parts of the country where there just isn't as much demand. Um, and so that we need to figure out a more efficient system for shipping around samples so that the places that have a lot of demand, like New York, can tap the capacity of places that don't have as much demand, like California right now has tremendous capacity but not as much testing demand. The swing capacity in this country really is LabCorp and Quest, and they've done tremendous work to get tests up and running very quickly. But we need to be working with them very, very closely to try to get those tests on what we call their automated platform so that they can substantially increase their throughput. They are the swing capacity in this country. They really have the capacity to change the dimension. They're committed to doing it. I've talked to their chief medical officers. The FDA should be doing everything possible to get those tests onto automated platforms to dramatically expand screening in this nation. As it is, it takes two to three days. We talked with a passenger from a JetBlue flight just a little bit ago who was on a plane, a JetBlue plane coming from New York, headed down to Palm Beach. Um, he was sitting very near another passenger who, from what he tells us, found out he had tested positive for coronavirus. It was a test he had taken apparently a couple of days earlier. He got a, a text notifying him that it came back positive. Um, What's going on? If you, if you know that you're being tested for coronavirus, what are you doing getting on a plane? How come there's not restrictions on any of these well, things? Well, I don't know why anyone who's under suspicion for coronavirus and actually was administered one of the tests uh, would be traveling on a plane. So I don't understand what the local public health controls were around that. 
Um, but this is part of the challenge. This is why, you know, I think if you look at the outcome that South Korea is having, where they really have turned the corner, they were able to implement very broad-based screening, identify cases, quarantine people who are either infected, even if they're mildly symptomatic, or people who had contact with infected individuals, and really bend the curve on their epidemic and, and avert a very bad outcome. Italy, on the other hand, was late to the game and was seeing really catastrophic consequences in Italy and a lot of people suffering. Um, we have a chance to avert that kind of an outcome, but I think it's too late for us to have the kind of outcome that South Korea achieved. We need to get as close to that as possible, and every day that goes by that we don't have the screening in place broadly and don't put in place the tough mitigation steps, we're losing valuable time. And it's not just mitigation on the part of what businesses are doing, like, like the NBA by canceling those games. And these are smart steps that businesses are taking. It's also social distancing at, a, at an individual level. People not having dinner parties for a month. We'll get through this. This is a one or two month affair, but we need to take the steps now to make sure Doctor, that we don't have a large epidemic. Doctor, you've been making these warnings literally daily on the air, and I, I imagine having conversations with people in the administration that you used to work with, work in about this. What's the reaction you get from them about why they haven't pushed harder, <coughs> given that you also want them to push harder even today? Right. Well, I don't want to betray the conversations I have with the, the folks at the White House, but I think that you know, we have a difficult system in this country where a lot of authority is given to local and state public health officials and local and state elected leaders to make decisions um, about their public health and about their outbreaks. And so if you're looking at this from a national interest, you might dramatically slow Seattle's economy so that there really isn't too much going in and out of that region, given the scope of the outbreak underway. But when you're looking at it in the context of Seattle, you might make some different decisions. We really need to think collectively in the national interest. And that's where what Michael Strain and I wrote about. Congress has a role to play in helping to support cities and states to take the tough decisions to slow their economies by supporting not just the cities, but the individuals who are going to be hurt by those decisions, particularly lower income Americans. Scott, let me just follow up, though. Local authorities being told to take over on this and the mismatch of guidance that they are given seems crazy. Again, back to this JetBlue flight. Based on what we have heard this morning, talking to a passenger who was just uh, very nearby, that passenger who tested positive for coronavirus, not only if this is all to be, if this is all true, not only did that coronavirus patient get on a plane, travel after he had been administered a test and before he had gotten the results back, but then when they landed, all of the passengers on the plane, which we've heard from two different sources, were told, don't worry about it. You can go about your business. Don't worry about quarantining from the doctor that they saw after the flight. What, what, what is that? Based on the reporting that I've heard, and I've heard this, the reporting from CNBC, I don't know how that scenario happened. I don't know how a passenger who was under suspicion and had a test administered and was awaiting results got on a plane. I don't know how those passengers were allowed to disembark and not be followed very closely by public health officials. I think it demonstrates that we are at a, a tipping point here in terms of the resources that we have to do track and trace and try and quarantine people who now are under suspicion for having coronavirus. Um, it's a di very difficult and dangerous moment that we're at right now in terms of this having the potential to accelerate to a point where we, we, we overwhelm our healthcare system. That really needs to be the focus. Keep the scope of this epidemic down to a point where we can properly administer healthcare to people and we don't become overwhelmed like what's happening in Italy and what happened in Wuhan as well. Michael, let's talk about the op-ed that you and, and Dr. Gottlieb put together. Um, again, what should Congress be doing, making sure that they are getting funds to these local authorities and what else? Congress should be thinking about things they can do to help local public health officials make the right choices and to help people make the right choices to protect public health, exactly as Scott said. In addition, those same steps would help protect the economically vulnerable. So you're an hourly wage worker. If you don't go to work, you don't get paid. You should get a check. You should get some financial assistance. 
What would that do? That would allow you to stay home if you were feeling sick uh, without going into work and affecting your colleagues and without being forced to choose between getting other people sick and paying the rent. The same thing is true with some of our social insurance programs. Right now, the unemployment insurance program requires that people uh, who are receiving UI benefits be actively searching for work. Right now, we don't want those people actively searching for work. SNAP, food, uh, SNAP work requirements are similar. Uh, in addition, something really important is that the federal government pick up a larger share of the tab for Medicaid. State budgets are going to be under tremendous pressure. States may be reluctant to divert spending from other priorities to uh, their public health system. States can't run deficits in the way the federal government can. So the federal government needs to start picking up a much bigger share of Medicaid spending to alleviate pressure on those states and to help states do the right thing. There's a lot that can be done for these uh, areas that are, that are going to be affected by severe outbreaks, and we need to get ahead of the ball before we fall behind it. Dr. Gottlieb, you were very recently in this administration as the head of the FDA. What are the odds that any of these sort of suggestions that you've made, the recommendations that you've come up with, will, will make their way quickly through? Well, I had the opportunity to brief members of Congress, uh, the Republicans, uh, in the morning two days ago and in the Progressive Caucus in the afternoon of the Democrats and had very good discussions with members of Congress. I think there is movement to try to get something done. Um, our view, Michael Strain and I, our view about this is that we should spend money to try to buy the kind of public health outcome that we want, meaning provide assistance that so people could do the right thing to help avert a wider epidemic, rather than trying to uh, provide financial assistance on the back end of this to jumpstart the economy. I'd rather spend the money up front to try to get a better outcome for the American people in terms of the public health. You said uh, just a little bit ago in this very interview that you think this is a one to two month issue. R really? Well, look, this epidemic is going to course its way through our population. And actually, if we let it course its way through the population and don't do much to mitigate its spread, it's actually going to be a shorter epidemic. But its peak is going to be much greater, and the total number of cases is going to be much higher, and it's going to overwhelm our healthcare system. And that's when you start to see more deaths. What we need to do is try to flatten the epidemic curve, push down on it, so that we spread it out a little bit more over time, but we don't have a very big surge in cases. That way you reduce the total number of cases, but you also keep the total number of cases at any one time below the point at which the healthcare system gets exhausted. This will end. We will be through this. This is going to be a very difficult month in March and probably April. Him? But we will get through this. That, that's something that Becky. That that's a new. That's a that's a whole new concept, don't you think, Becky? Yeah, I, I would and agree. I hope Andrew but, was listening. Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't. But, but it, so he said, even if it's not mitigated, yes. even if you don't bend the curve, it's still a one to two month. So that goes back to to our economic analysis yeah. well, of, Iran, of how well, long. Yeah, Iran will get through their uh, epidemic. They're going to let it course its way through their entire population. Eventually, everyone who's susceptible to coronavirus. But we're, is we have get the it. idea it's going to last years if we if it's a slow bleed and it, so It'll to come speak. Back. I mean, Joe, this will come back. We'll have outbreaks in the fall, but it, hopefully, we'll have a point of care diagnostic by the fall, and maybe even a therapeutic, but, so we can control. But, but small you outbreaks. don't have to have a really successful mitigation program for it. As bad as it would be in t cost of human suffering, it's still a, sh a relatively short duration, Scott. I, I didn't think. That, uh, well, that that's a new concept. Like I said, it's going to come back in small outbreaks in the fall. But, Hopefully, we have better tools by then. We should be investing in them now. But if you let this epidemic course its way through the population, you let yes. it infect 40 percent of the population. Eventually, enough people have had it that it stops spreading. But now, can we, we don't can want we, to wait, do you're, that. You're, you're, just, that's what I was going to say. You right. are not advocating for that. No, you don't absolutely want that not. to happen the, because the, the human the suffering is right. overwhelming. We can't let that happen. That's right. what's happening in Iran right now. What you want to do is try to slow the spread of this so you keep the number.
number of cases lower and you keep them below the point at which hospitals become overwhelmed. Michael, Dr. Gottlieb, want to thank you both and we'll see you both again soon. Coming up on Squawk Pod, travel bans and pandemic fears are roiling the economy. Mohamed El Arian says the market has more room to drop, but eventually we'll find a bottom. We are going to come back. We are going to turn around, but it is going to be a difficult journey. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today's show is hosted by Becky Quick, Joe Kernan, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Joining us right now on the Squawk Newsline is Mohamed al Ariad. And, uh, Mohamed, you've been telling us this entire time that you would not be buying yet. You thought we'd see a decline of 20 to 30 percent. Yesterday we hit down 20 percent. We've gone a little further. Is this the time to jump back in yet? Not for most people, Becky. Um, certain professional investors are finding a lot of opportunities here, but not most people. Let me explain why. When I told you 20 to 30 percent, which is about 10 days ago, believe it or not, it's because I saw a flashing red on what I call economic sudden stops, activities coming to a halt immediately, and that's starting to spread through the global economy. I saw a flashing yellow light on the economics of fear, which means people overreacting, and then liquidity was a green light. As we've played this forward, as central banks haven't responded quickly to the functioning of markets, we now have red light on the economic sudden stop, red light on the economics of fear, and a flashing yellow light on market functioning. So that makes me fear, unfortunately, that we're going to go more towards the 30%. And at that point, we've got to reassess. Um, But what we're going to see is something we haven't seen for a very, very long time, which is the real economy overreacting. Not just finance, but the real economy. Overreacting. Yes. People are going to stop engaging in all sorts of economic activities. Businesses are going to shut down. Um, And there's two reasons for that. One is the demonstration effects. And what Italy did, Becky, is going to create a potential precedent for others, not in terms of shutting the whole country down, but in terms of social distancing. Mm-hmm. And then, so, and then so, so we're going to see that happening. And then, you know, humans are humans. So, so you're going to see people overreacting for a while just because of safety and health. I mean, that, that reminds us of 2001. It was a different fear factor at that point, but it was fear nonetheless that stopped people from shopping, from traveling, from wanting to go places. That's right. But you could identify where the risk is, and you had a massive government response. Um, here, our hope, and all, all these dynamics can change, can change quickly, but understand what they need to change. It's not stimulus. What they need to change is progress on us having confidence that we can contain the virus, and secondly, us having confidence that our immunity can go up. A vaccine does both of these things very quickly. So, so that is what's going to turn the, the economy around. In the meantime, I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to see the usual 
overshooting. I can't stress enough the importance of, of people looking at market functioning. On Tuesday, I warned about the credit market and the inflation market starting to come under stress. Yesterday, it was the treasury market. Um, we are living in a system that overpromised liquidity. We've had a proliferation of ETFs on illiquid asset class. Look what happened to the emerging market ETF um, yesterday and the day before. So, so you know, we are going to have to reset slowly a system that's over liquid. Mohammed, can you can you break that down a little bit? What, what are the problems with ETFs? What are the problems you're seeing in the Treasury markets? What, what causes them, and what could potentially fix them? So, what does an ETF signal to those buying it? It implicitly signals you can come in and out anytime you want at reasonable bid-offer prices. And it's a great invention. It works extremely well on liquid assets classes, on the S&P, on the Dow. But because there's been this enormous demand for yield, because people have ventured very far from where they normally operate, comforted by ample and predictable central bank liquidity, ETFs started getting offered on asset classes that, that were liquid for now, but are inherently illiquid. So people took on way too much liquidity risk. So when we have a change in the paradigm and people try to reposition, the system cannot absorb the risk involved. The system cannot provide the liquidity. So you get price gapping and you get contagion. If you can't sell what you want, you end up selling something else. Should those ETFs not exist? That, oh, no, they should exist. They, should, they simply shouldn't be offered on illiquid asset classes. Hey, Mohammed, has anything changed in your mind over the past 24, 48 hours regarding uh, at least your prediction that we'd be 20 to 30% down? Um, because I do think, to, and, and not that, I mean, look, if you're a long-term uh, investor and thinking 10 years out, you shouldn't be selling right now. But uh, for those who are trying to understand when to get in or really what to do, if it really is going to go he down. He said to closer to 30 and then reevaluate. So no, are, no, you, are, so you, are you going to 40 now, Mohammed? That's what I want to understand. Yeah. First of all, I'm not going. To, I'm, not, I'm not going to 40. But closer um, to yes. 30, and then reevaluate. Closer to 30, and, and then reevaluate because because we're having market malfunction, which I didn't think we were going to get. Um, look, you, you you guys, you know me. I, I'm a great believer. Tell people what you're thinking and let them decide. So when I came out and said, do not buy that dip, people who knew me said, oh, my God, that is a very strong signal for me. When I went on, on Twitter the last couple of days, urging caution, telling people, be careful out there. It is treacherous. Okay. It's because I'm worried. Yes, I am worried. Having said that, in my mind, we have companies, not all companies, but we have companies with strong balance sheet, lots of cash, good business models, and good leadership. They are going to survive. They are going to be bargains, right? They're going to be absolute bargains. So if you have them right now, don't go out and sell them. Don't panic. Um, and there's a risk that, that what's happening in the marketplace, especially the price gapping we're seeing, causes people to panic. So, so no, we are going to come back. We are going to turn around. But it is going to be a difficult journey. Always make a difference between the journey and the destination, because most of us, unfortunately, get influenced by the journey and not just the destination. Mohammed, the overreaction of the economy in terms of fear of the virus lasts the duration, I think, is that's what I'm trying to figure out. If it's three months, then I think, you know, that's something that you can deal with. Is it only three months? Is it six months? Is How long does it last in terms of because then you would see the, the good companies you're talking about would come back and you could actually see a pretty, a, a pretty sharp uh, rebound in, in some of these uh, things. Uh, oh, we, when it comes, it is going to be such a sharp rebound. How long be duration do you think? 
uh, that's a medical question. Right. Okay, that's why I pushed back so hard six weeks ago as people said, oh, this is going to be a sharp V. We come down, but we go straight back up. I said, hell no. It's going to be a U that's going to feel like an L. Okay, this is not a V. But then why do you say there's going to be a sharp... uh, Mohammed, that's the piece of it that I can't understand, which is I still think there's an expectation in the marketplace that at some point there will be an announcement about a drug or something which I'm so hopeful for and that... This is going to change the dynamic. If that comes three or four months from now, how much carnage and damage is going to happen along the way that's going to create a prolonged recession? And therefore, how do people think about valuations? So, so, so I've written about this. And you've got, to, you've got to distinguish between the financial markets and the economy. The financial markets will react much faster. Let's start with the economy. We are going into a global recession. Okay, we are going into a global recession. After what, what's been happening the last two days, we are going to see a spread of economic st- sudden stops. And the trouble with economic sudden stops, and unless you've worked, which I have, on fragile and failed states, the Sudan of this world when I was young, okay, um, unless you've worked on those countries when I was at the IMF, you've never seen an economic sudden stop. So the trouble with economic sudden stop is it's not easy to restart an economy. You've got to get people to re-engage. You've got to coordinate the restart. So the economic damage is going to last. That's why I believe that we are going to get a global recession. Financial markets are going to react much faster. And we are putting so much liquidity in these markets that when the green light flashes, and it will flash at some point, okay, we are going to have such a snapback. So the, the financial markets are going to lead the real economy. The real economy is going to struggle to get back, but it will get back. And the key thing is to ask what the circuit breaker was. We had hoped that policies was going to be the circuit breaker. That was the hope over the weekend. That's not going to be the case unless we get a real explanation of all the stimulus measures. So, of, uh, I'm sorry, but, but Mohammed, whether we get a drug or not, that, that, I don't know if that's really the... The, the key thing that, that would turn things around. No, 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 Joe, the key thing right now is we are going to overshoot on the way down right. on, on asset prices, but how it, and we're going to establish a bottom. That's what's going to happen right. in the asset in, market. In asset prices, but it's in terms of the crisis itself. Uh, as it works itself through, we've, we've got some idea uh, of people recovering in, in South Korea or China or flattening the, 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 you know, the mitigation rate. I don't know if we can do it here. Maybe you never know whether you're going to be more like Iran and Italy or more like uh, you know, where it's, it's handled. But do you think we'll know in three months whether we're going to 100 million people, that, which was bandied about, uh, that, that that's how it happens? Or, I mean, it, so it's, uh, we don't necessarily go. We don't know yet the, the, the path of this. And we're still at, at a little, what, we're under 200,000 cases still. I know there's probably a lot more that haven't been diagnosed. But that's also a positive because a lot of people, you don't even know they have it. Yeah, but, but what has happened in the recent 48 hours Italy, Boeing, Seattle, suddenly the market has been able to have a look at what the left tail looks like. And the minute you can see what the left tail looks like, you're going to price the left tail. And then fear, what fear does, is gives the left tail a much higher probability than what it actually is. That's, that's, that's how behavioral science but, and works. And you think the fear can get even greater than it is today? Oh, it's going to it's, it's it's get greater. It's the cascading economic stop. Things just slow down. And in some cases, they slow down suddenly. You shut down the NBA season. Okay, who, who had that in their in the, in the left case scenario? 
very few people. So remember, the, the economics of sudden stop, the economics of fear, and market malfunction. These are the three things we should reevaluate on a high-frequency basis, because they're going to tell you what the real economy is going to do. Right. In terms of what the markets, just look at valuations. Look, look at, look at the, the, the washing out of, 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 of trades, because there's going to be opportunities, just not now. Mohammed, I want to thank you for your time, and we um, really appreciate it. Thank you, Becky. Mm-hmm. Next on Squawk Pod, coronavirus is testing the limits of the U.S. government. Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Tom Friedman. We need a, just an all-out push, World War II level, to get the tests and the equipment that we need. And I'd be setting up field hospitals right now. Back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. In an address to the nation last night, President Trump announced new strict travel restrictions from much of Europe beginning this weekend. For more on America's response, we're joined on the Squawk Newsline by Tom Friedman, New York Times foreign affairs columnist and good friend of the show. Tom, thanks for calling in this morning. Uh, You watched the president last night. You've seen the reaction, by the way, from uh, the EU and European countries, which were not happy about some of the comments uh, the president made. made. Uh, Was it enough? Well, um, you know, I, I watched it, Andrew, like any citizen and, and a small investor and was really hoping to be reassured. Uh, I was not reassured and, and the market uh, clearly wasn't reassured. Um, the way I look at the problem is this, Andrew. I think we have five problems. We have a logistics problem around tests. We have a cure problem, which doesn't exist. We have a political problem. We haven't agreed on a bailout. We have a global um, uh, disorder problem, and we have an oil problem. What I, if I had had a chance to write the president's speech, um, I would have begun by saying I'm, I'm actually asking Jeff Bezos of Amazon uh, to take a leave from Amazon and take over the effort to get test kits manufactured and distributed everywhere in America. Number one, I'm asking Bill Gates to take a leave from Microsoft and oversee all efforts to come up with a rapid cure for this for this virus. Number three, um, I'm suspending my campaign for re-election. I'm inviting Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to Camp David. We are not going to come out until we agree on a national uh, program for um, some kind of economic bailout. I'm calling on the G20 to set up a permanent committee of collaboration between all our countries. This is a global problem. It only has a global solution. And I'm calling on Saudi Arabia 
uh, to immediately uh, take steps to cut its production, to shore up the price of oil. Um, this is not a time to be crashing our fracking industry or uh, creating a bottomless oil market. Uh, I, I think steps like that, whether you chose my five or any others, that addressed all five problems specifically would have translated into a little more confidence right now. And what people feel right now is that they have no confidence that um, we've got our arms around this problem. I, I appreciate all the points you're making. I want to go to the political one, the, the idea of getting Nancy Pelosi and, and, and the rest of the crew down at Camp David. Let's just talk about uh, what he did talk about last night in terms of what he wants, payroll tax holidays and the like, and the other stimulus measures. Do you think they will work, and do you think they're politically going to work? You know, um, I don't think anything works until people feel we've got um, testing, uh, uh, that we have our arms around this problem. Um, my, my focus would be on, on testing so we know the dimensions of the problem so we can attack it properly um, and creating a Manhattan Project around a cure. Um, I, I, I'm, it's outside my skill set, Andrew, to know which sort of economic payroll tax or whatever um, uh, is the right economic response right now. Um, and that's one I would take a lot of time to study. We, we don't want to do things that we're really going to regret down the road. Well, let me ask you about the, the geopolitical relationships, which is something I know that you know a lot about, uh, which is to say, uh, as, we, as we try to, to come up with a cure, but also to try to talk to our, our historic allies, um, the relationship between the U.S. and Europe uh, may be strained by some of the comments that the president made last night. Also, as you know, the comment, uh, we, we have an oil situation here. Uh, how do you see both of those issues playing themselves out? Well, there's simply no trust between um, our allies and this president. Um, uh, there's, there's blame uh, on both sides, but certainly the way the president has approached the trade war uh, from the beginning has, has uh, you know, created a lot of tension between us and our traditional allies. I would have added, actually, a sixth point on my list. I would, I'd be lifting all the tariffs right now on China, uh, temporarily suspending all of them. Let's get uh, these supply chains as normalized as possible. Wow. And in terms of the way, you know, you're, you're, I, I know you don't, you're not a, a, a doctor, but in terms of the, the length and severity of this situation, a lot of people are looking at the situation in South Korea, they're looking at the situation in China, and they're saying, okay, you know, uh, the professional basketball team in China is coming back online 10 weeks later. Do you believe those numbers? Do you think that that's a realistic model to even think about? Also, given the fact that they've done some dra draconian things that I'm not sure we, uh, we clearly haven't done yet, and I don't know whether we ever will. You know, um, I share Joe Kernan's skepticism about that. I, I, I just, um, uh, a country of one point, you know, three billion people, um, uh, I, I color me dubious. That's all. I, I hope they're right. I pray that they're 15, right. Fifteen um, new cases, Tom. And one, two, three, four. Fifteen new yeah. cases. I, yeah, with I a just, straight face. Um, I don't know. I was taking that as, as as a good thing, maybe that there are so many people we may not know about, but maybe we don't know about the real mortality rate either. We have no idea yeah. how many how many people there that that are that actually are succumbing to, to the. I don't know if we know anything. Do you, Tom? About yeah. No, that's why I'm, that's why I'm just really skeptical. I think what what we do know is that um, uh, two things, you know, can work. One is um, just incredibly pervasive testing, and the other is incredibly pervasive uh, uh, social distancing. 
And um, uh, you know, South Korea really led the way on testing that allowed them to limit their social distancing. Uh, China did social distancing. Um, I think we have to do voluntarily uh, the kind of social distancing uh, China's doing. It looks like we are beginning to do that. I've canceled everything personally. And at the same time, though, we have got to get this test bottleneck um, uh, you know, uh, resolved and, and on a just emergency basis. Because if you don't know who's got it, a friend of mine emailed me this morning. His daughter had a fever. Uh, she went to um, the local doctors, the hospital, to get a test. They had no test. This is in New York City. So, uh, you know, imagine, you know, if, if you're in rural Montana or wherever, you know. So, Tom, um, the conundrum it, it, is, though, it, it, from, from, from what we're hearing and reporting, it sounds like we are still several weeks away from having it en masse in terms of the kinds of numbers that you're going to need to feel comfortable that you even have your hands around the numbers. Yeah, and that's why I, th I think that's what you're seeing reflected in what Mohammed Alarian said this morning and what you're seeing reflected in the Dow futures. Um, people are doing the math, you know. Um, and uh, we also have a real shortage of the N9 masks, which you need both if you've got the disease or if you're treating someone with the disease. And that's why we, we need a, just an all-out, you know, um, uh, push uh, World War II level uh, to get the tests and the equipment that we need. And I would say, somebody brought this up, maybe it was Becky this morning, um, I'd be setting up field hospitals right now um, uh, if these numbers are anywhere near what they, we expect they are. And just the little things that happened in the last, you know, 12 hours, the JetBlue flight, Tom Hanks, the NBA. Um, I think today, uh, Andrew, you're going to see uh, all of those kinds of things um, amplified. Uh, Tom Friedman. Thank you for joining us this morning. Pleasure. Appreciate it. That's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, we check in with CNBC's Eunice Yoon. Our Beijing bureau chief has been continuing to work and report during the virtual shutdown of day-to-day -day activity in China. She'll tell us what that's been like. There was one time when I was in a, a park and I thought, okay, I'm just going to take my mask off for a little bit. And then there was a, a line of police and, they, and I got scolded. You'll hear Eunice's reporter perspective only on the pod. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You'll get the best of Squawk Box right in your feed every day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.